You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeld, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Todd Churches. He is CEO and co-founder of Big Blue Gumball. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the work he does with leaders, developing leaders, developing executives, helping companies be more successful by leveling up leadership capacity, leadership skills inside the business. I'm excited for this. I love talking with folks that are coaches and help with leadership. It's just, it's such a needed profession, capability within every company. And I love talking with folks who are working to help help create more of that and see the insights and the value and the facets of what it takes to be a great leader. So I'm excited for this. With that, Todd, welcome to the program. Bruce, thank you so much. Yeah, my personal mission is to help make the world a better place, one leader at a time. And to me, everyone is a leader in one way or another. So that's my foundational starting point of everything that I do. I love it. And I love that idea. Everyone is a leader because everyone is a leader. I mean, there's all all sorts of opportunities to lead in one's life, whether you're, you know, CEO of a big company or you're just, you know, with your family or, you know, your friends, there's always a chance to take a leadership position. So I, exactly. I appreciate perspective. Yeah, in my NYU class, I, I ask my students, how many of you are leaders just for curiosity and no uh, one raises their hand? And then I say, by the end of tonight, you're all going to be raising your hand because we're going to redefine what it means to be a leader. And boom, the rest of the semester goes from there. I love it. I love it. Let's do a little background. How did you get into this? What was your professional background? Give us a little bit of the story. Yeah, well, it was uh, not to quote a Beatles song. It was a long and winding road, so that got me here. <laughs> uh, I'm always fascinated. I, I love origins. I love origins of superheroes. I love world origins. And I love hearing how people got yeah. to be what they're doing. I know you have a background in like engineering and architecture, right? And then here yeah. you are doing business strategy. So it's always interesting. And I teach uh, leadership in the HR master's program at NYU. And we, you know, we always talk about having a career path. And I say it's a path implies that it's like some walk in the park through stepping stones that, that are laid out for you. I <laughs> say it's guardrails and nice yeah, uh, yeah. planks that you can walk on. Yeah. Exactly. But it's a career. I say to me, it's a career roller coaster. It's ups and downs, twists and turns, exhilarating highs and terrifying plummets. And I've gone through all of them over the last 30 years of, of working. So just going back to the beginning, I talk about this in my TEDx talk on the power of visual thinking, saying when people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grow up, I would always say I wanted to be Superman. That was like my dream. I wanted to be Superman. But my backup plan, because it's good to have a fallback position, uh, was Batman. So those were my two <laughs> career options. Um, and uh, growing up as a child of a baby boomer, watching those shows, that was my dream. But as my backup backup plan was to work in TV in some capacity, because I just love television. I was obsessed with television. So everything I did was geared towards that. So I got a, actually a degree in English literature as an undergraduate at SUNY Albany in New York. And then I got my master's degree in communication. And then my first job out of college, I wanted to work in TV. 
And at that time, all of the jobs in TV were out in LA, but I was here in New York, so mm -hmm. I got a job at Ogilvy and made their advertising. Sure. And I wanted to get a creative job, but I ended up in the network TV buying division, which was a great foot in the door. Ogilvy was an amazing company. Mm -hmm. But after a year of doing that, it was all about numbers crunching and ratings and shares and dollars, and it wasn't creative. So... I went to visit a roommate, college roommate, who lived in L.A., and I just fell in love with the Hollywood sign, and I packed my bags and my cape, and I flew out to L.A., and even though I had no context, no connections, and no idea how to even get started, there I was in Hollywood. So I got a series of internships and temp jobs, and I actually worked nights as a bouncer in a nightclub, so that was a whole <laughs> other side of my life. Different, as, different kind of leadership. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as an extreme introvert and bookworm, I always say I'm a three Bs guy, even to this day. I'm a back of the room, behind the scenes bookworm. So for me nice. to be out there in front of people is so far out of my comfort zone. I can't even, you know, I have imposter syndrome pretty much every single day. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but working as a bouncer in a nightclub until I got punched in the face one night, I think Mike Tyson was the one who said, everyone, you have a plan until, you know, you get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. that literally is what happened to me and broke my glasses and I quit my bouncing career after a couple of years of doing that. Oh boy. Yeah. But I worked for um, my temp jobs. I worked for Michael Nesmith of the Monkees and baby boomers uh -huh. recognize him and the Monkees, my millennial students have no idea who I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then I worked in uh, production for uh, Aaron Spelling, putting scripts mm -hmm. together for Dynasty and other shows. But it was just exciting to be on a lot and being around celebrities and like that was like so exciting and then i was in casting at columbia pictures i was in comedy at disney and then drama at cbs so those were my years in the tv industry and um one of the recurring themes unfortunately was having one horrible boss after another mm, and um yeah. my book that just came out in may published by simon and schuster it's called visual leadership leveraging the power of visual thinking and leadership in the life it's yeah. dedicated first to my wife secondly to my parents and third to all the horrible bosses i've had without whom none of this would be possible. <laughs> so that's, that takes you up through my uh, years in the TV industry. And then I got a job as a project manager in the theme park business. And I managed a number of theme park projects in LA, but also one where I was sent to China, to Shenzhen, nice. China, to oversee an installation for three weeks, which was a transformational experience I could tell you I'm more sure. about. So sure. after 10 years in LA, I moved back to New York and I had no idea what I was wanted to do, I ended up with a job at a leading trading company and asked to revamp their mini MBA program. And I knew nothing about management except for having been a bad manager myself for a number mm -hmm. of years. And I dove into management leadership books because I said, there's got to be a better way of managing and leading than through tyranny and abuse, which is what I had experienced. And I started reading one business book after another. And that's one of my claims to fame. From 1998 to 2018, I averaged one a week for 20 years. So I read over a thousand management leadership books over wow. that period. And then finally people said, when are you going to write your own? You've read all these. but and So that's when I started writing my own. And after working on it for an, about 10 years, uh, it finally came out in May. And now I do management leadership training, coaching and consulting, as mm -hmm. well as teaching leadership at NYU and Columbia. So that brings you up to speed. That's my, that's my bio in a nutshell. Yeah, I love it. And yes, uh, kind of a winding road, circuitous path here. I'm curious, other than sort of bad bosses that you've had, what were some of the other things that you feel like you learned, you know, in those various kind of very different experiences from a professional point of view that, that have really helped you from a how to kind of train, coach, develop leaders today? Sure. Well, Shakespeare, drawing on my English background, he said that uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Mm -hmm. It looks so much easier to lead and to manage and to, to be in charge of things than it is, right? It's so mm -hmm. easy for people to say, why didn't they just do this? Or how could they do something so stupid? And you don't realize how hard it is until you get into that role to make these decisions where everyone's going to have an opinion. And 
when I, when I talk about leadership and, and ask what words come to mind when you think of the word leader, leadership, or leading, the word vision tends to be one of the first three, if not the first word that comes to mind. So a lot of my work has to do with, you know, what does it mean to have a leadership vision? What does it mean when we call someone a visionary leader, like an Elon Musk or a, or a Branson or, or mm -hmm. Steve Jobs, right? So what does it mean? It's about having a picture in your mind's eye of an idealized future state that's different from and better than the current reality. So your job as a leader is twofold. One is to formulate a vision that's powerful and impactful and, and transformational. The other part is to communicate that vision in a clear and compelling and inspiring way so that other people get on board with it so as to help you make that vision a reality. And I always use the quote from Barad Baruch who said that the ability to express an idea is as important as the idea itself. And so many leaders struggle with articulating that vision that is so clear in their own mind's eye, which is a term coined by Shakespeare in Hamlet, but mm -hmm. yet they have, it's not that easy to get that vision out of your head and into someone else's so that they could, quote, see what you're saying. And that's the foundation... And why is that? Like, why is it so hard for leaders to be able to communicate that vision, that idea? Well, one is people are not mind readers. So it's so clear to us because we yeah. see it. And, and on the cover of my book, it's a rainbow-colored eye. And the rainbow represents diversity and inclusion and the fact that no one has the same eye as same color eye, and no one sees the world exactly as you do, right? So, so often leaders say, it's so clear, look at it, look, this is my vision, Isn't, didn't you get the memo? And it's like, no, it's not that clear, right? Because everyone's looking at this thing from a different perspective. So that's the rainbow eye represents diversity of thought and viewpoint. And the other aspect of it is innovation and creativity. How are you going to change the world, basically? And we need to do that through innovation. So, um, and then the other aspect of the rainbow colored eye on the book cover is my concept of flipping the eye. You need to turn that eye on yourself and look inwardly at your belief systems, your biases, your assumptions, who you are and how you are as a leader. And it poses the question, can you see the world through the lens of people who are different from you with empathy and compassion? And can you help other people realize their vision? Because it's not just about you as a leader, it's about other people as well. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about kind of definition of leadership. I mean, you talked about kind of some of the words that come up and this ability to, to communicate or, or transmit this vision that you have. But what, what else for you kind of defines leadership or scopes leadership when we're, as we're thinking about kind of training people or developing folks, what's really entailed in that? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different definitions of leadership out there. Some people say leadership is uh, about creating followership. Some people mm -hmm. say leadership is about having a vision and making mm -hmm. and changing the world. So that's, that to me is what leadership is all about. It's about getting the people and having a view of saying, you know, here's point A, this is where we are, here's point B, and how are we going to get from point, whatever that point B is, how are we going to get there? How are we going to transform ourselves and, and other people and change the world? So um, it is about my course at NYU used to be called transformational leadership and team building until they cut off the transformation without telling me or asking me just because <laughs> they, they felt the title was too long. But it's transformation in two forms. One, it's about transforming ourselves and, and the other is about transforming the world as it is. So that's, uh, you know, and to transform just by definition means to change the form of something, right? So that's yep. what we're trying to do as leaders is, is change things hopefully for the better. And do you see, I guess, contrast that to management because I think we talk a lot about management and then we talk mm -hmm. about leadership. Do you see that these are kind of very integrated things? Are they very separate for you? How, how do you define them? Yeah, I go by John. I spent session two of my NYU and my Columbia courses focusing just on that question. I posed the mm. questions, what is management? What is leadership? What's the difference and why does it matter? And they are completely integrated. They're, you could say they're the yin and yang, they're the left brain, right brain, they're the two sides of, of the same coin. 
In fact, in my book, I have a whole page that's just compare and contrast words associated with management and leadership. But one of the phrases to keep in mind is you manage processes, you lead people. And if you uh, start, if you just remember that, it's just I didn't come up with that. That's just one of those things that's phrases that's out there. But when you're managing, you're focused. And John Cotter from Harvard Business School, he, to me, he's mm-hmm. the guru of in his article "What Leaders Really Do," which is a must read for anyone who's Harvard article. Yeah. You know, management is about scheduling and budgeting and all the, all the nuts and bolts stuff. It's almost like hard skills, soft skills, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're dealing with management, it's process, it, it's scheduling, it's it's planning. It's execution. It's task focus. And one of the things he says is the outcome of management is stability, order, and and getting tasks done. Execution, basically, that's the best word. Management leads to execution, and it's about efficiency. Leadership is about, and this is drawing on Peter Drucker's work as well, management is about efficiency. Leadership is about effectiveness, right? You can be very efficient and yet not be effective if you're not getting the right things done, Yeah. right? So leadership is about the strategic, the big picture, the long-term, and getting things done with people, inspiring them, setting setting them up for success, et cetera. But you need to do both. Doing one without the other, management without leadership, there's no vision, there's no change, there's no excitement, and leadership without management, there's no execution, and you don't actually get anything done. So you really need both. Yeah. And when we look at leadership, is there one sort of model for effective leadership? Is there multiple models? Are there similar? I mean, I guess, what do you look for in terms of how someone becomes or is an effective leader? How do you think about that question? Yeah, I mean, the answer to that question to me is the two-word answer that all of us consultants could use. <laughs> it depends, yeah, right? Exactly. It's, so someone who's a good, effective manager or leader in one company, in one industry, in one context could completely fail in another and vice versa, right? Yeah. We've seen sports coaches like Joe Torre. I'm a Yankees fan. Joe Torre was a failure as a manager with the Mets and with, I forget, I think the Cardinals. He went to the Yankees and under a different situation, he became one of the great baseball managers of all time, right? So it's kind of like there is no one size fits all for anything, especially with leadership, because it's so intangible. But it really is about stepping up to leadership when leadership is needed. And it's again, we're not just talking about CEOs, we're talking about raising your hand, speaking up, speaking out, actually impacting and influencing other people. And even though I talk loud and fast because I'm from New York, I'm an extreme introvert. So you don't have to be like the charismatic, loud, get up at the microphone, you know, rouse people into a frenzy leader. You could lead quietly. You could lead from behind the scenes. So that's one of the great things. And I think it was John Quincy Adams who said something like, if you uh, get people to learn more, do more, become more, you're a leader. And that's one of the, the, the definitions that I ascribe to. Yeah. And when you're evaluating someone's leadership, either capabilities or capacity, what's the checklist? What are the categories you're looking for? How do you assess that? Well, it's almost twofold. One, it's looking inwardly. I always talk about reflection, introspection, and connection. So reflection is about looking back to see where you came from and how you got to where mm-hmm. you are. Introspection is about looking inwardly at yourself as a leader. And connection is about how, you're, how you connect with other people and the outside world. So it's more external focus. So one way is self-assessment. And the other way is asking the people that around you that you lead. Are you an effective leader? And that to me is the, the greatest gauge is what are people around you saying? And then there are coaches like Marshall Goldsmith, who's the you know one of the most famous executive coaches in the world. Yeah. His whole thing is around, are you changing? And what, what are other people saying about you? Are you transforming? Are you improving? Because that's the true measure of success. You could think you are, but if other people don't see it, then it, you know, it's your perception, but not the reality. 
I'm curious, what's your perception of leadership? Not to throw it back on you or put you on the spot. Yeah, no, no, it's a good question. You know, I, I find that it's always very contextual, right? It's very based mm-hmm. on the context that you're operating within. And, and to your point, I've, I've seen, I've experienced it myself. I've seen other leaders that, you know, highly effective in one scenario and then in a different context, you know, not very effective at all. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I find these, there's kind of these activators and deactivators in terms of the context that end up affecting things. I mean, for me, it's yeah. always been about that that sort of why are we doing this, right? Creating Mm -hmm. uh, an emotional and kind of a rational context for the work that we're going to do and clarity of the future, right? Mm -hmm. So what is is the future look like in three years, five years, 10 years is providing the, you know, the details, the context, the motivation, the emotions that, that are going to clarify this to align folks and align their efforts towards a you know, a particular outcome. Mm -hmm. I always say when I'm working with leaders and and CEOs and we're kind of creating that vision, I say, look, we can climb any mountain you want. We just can't climb every mountain you want. So it's, it's really that, that choosing that future, choosing the vision and giving details that are going to allow a team to make better decisions, make quicker decisions to help us get there is kind of my functional definition of leadership. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, for me, I find that, you know, there's some people are very good in, you know, people-centered, service-centered environments. Other people are very good with technical kind of product environments. You know, the, the different, the thing you are trying to lead or the context when you're trying to lead ends up being a huge factor in who's going to be successful and who's yeah. going to not. Yeah, you, and just I, rem- you just remind yeah. me, there's a quote by, I think it was Max Dupree, who said the leader has two responsibilities. First, to help define reality for their people. Uh-huh. And secondly, to say thank you. Yeah. Like, the, like if, the, if you do those two things, that makes you, you know, that's a big part of being an effective leader. Yeah. What are some of the common uh, kind of leadership mistakes or, or you know, th- thing, things that get in leaders' way in terms of their ability to be effective as leaders? Well, one is thinking it's all about you. I mean, that to me, you know, being yeah. egomaniacal, narcissistic, leadership should be about the mission. It should be about the vision. It should be about helping others. I, I work with a guy named Jeff Schwartzman. He, we co-teach at NYU together. He was my colleague when we worked together at Dale Carnegie. Then he was my boss when he hired me to start up their leadership institute at LiquidNet, where he's the head of leadership development. And then uh, I became his client when I got laid off from there. And I'm still doing the training and we co-teach together. He basically sums it up by saying the leader's number one job is to set their people up for success. And that is it. Like, that's my job. And I wrote about this in my book. I met Grant Tinker when I was in 19, I hate to say what year, when I first moved to LA in 1985. My dream was to work in television, as I mentioned. I pack my bags. My parents dropped me off at JFK Airport. I get on the plane. I'm walking through first class to get to my coach seat in the back. Mm -hmm. And the guy's blocking the aisle. And he turns around. It's Grant Tinker, the CEO of NBC, and also Mm -hmm. the husband of Mary Tyler Moore. So... There I am, the whole flight to LA. Here I am moving out to LA to pursue my dream of working in Hollywood and the CEO <laughs> of NBC, my dream network. Just seats but- away. It's sitting in first class. So I actually spent the next five hours debating and torturing myself. Should I go up and talk to him? And finally, about an hour before we were about to land, I somehow got up the courage. I went up to him. I said, excuse me, Mr. Tinker. I was an intern at NBC last summer. My dream is to work in television. Can I ask you, how would someone get started? And he actually got up from his aisle seat, moved over to the window seat and said, sit down. What's your name? Oh, wow. So I write about that in my book. That to me is like, there's so many lessons there. One, think about the selflessness of him, right? He could have just said, sorry, I'm too busy or don't ever call me. You know, you're never going to work for NBC. Um, Mm -hmm. But he actually moved over and I spent around 10 minutes talking to the, I'm sitting in first class. I'm 24 years old, sitting in first class with the CEO of NBC. And he gave me his card and said, call my secretary and she'll help you say, I made up, I probably won't be able to talk to you, but she'll be able to set up some meetings for you. And he did. And I never got a job at NBC, but 
I end up with like five interviews there and I end up getting a job elsewhere. But just what does that say about a leader, right? Someone who's willing to do that and help someone who they yeah. don't know. And, and also for me, that, that just, again, as an extreme introvert, that was so out of my comfort zone to force myself to do it. But that's, I always rem- tell that story to my students and it doesn't, you know, you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone. And the worst thing that could have happened is he said, no, or I'm too busy or sorry, but he yeah. didn't. And I always remember that. And that was many years ago. Yeah, no, that's a great story. Do you think leadership is, you know, kind of, you know, someone is born a leader? Does someone develop to be a leader? I mean, what's what's your kind of opinion on how leaders are kind of created and, and leadership capacity? Yeah, I actually have a cartoon that I show in my class where a woman's giving birth and the the, uh, the doctor's <laughs> holding the baby saying, congratulations, not how it happens. Um, now, some people may be born with certain leadership attributes. Uh-huh. Some One of the ways I, I pose it, let's say you're in a, sco- a schoolyard or a playground and you point to a five or six-year-old kid and, and someone says, see that kid over there? That kid's going to be a real leader someday. What is it that that kid is doing? Yeah. What qualities, characteristics, traits? And it's usually the kid has followership, has charisma, has uh, assertiveness and extroversion. Those are the stereotypical characteristics of leadership. But we really, so some, some people are more naturally, though, have those personality traits, but you don't have to. And it really is a learn, it's something that's learned. And it's something, there's a phrase in our, in our business, because I do management, consulting, training, and coaching, management and leadership. Mm-hmm. So we say that managers are trained, leaders are developed. Right. You could take a management training course and I could teach you all kinds of processes for time management and delegation and all those things. Leadership development takes time. The word development implies growth over time. Right. So sometimes a company will bring me in and say, we want to develop our leaders, but we only have three hours on a Thursday (laughs) afternoon. Right. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. I could give people management skills. I could give them some tools, tips and techniques to add to their management toolkit. But leadership development, that's not how it works. And um, as I was mentioning, I do consult management, leadership, team building, and presentation skills, consulting, training, and coaching. And a lot of times people use the terms interchangeably. We talk about management leadership, but with I always for my clients, because they often ask, I always say, you know, they give someone a fish and they'll eat well today, teach them to fish, they'll eat well for the rest of their lives. Consulting is giving someone a fish. Training is teaching them how to fish and coaching is being there beside them while they're fishing. Yeah. And that's how I distinguish between those three using that classic Confucian expression. And I basically try to weave some people are sticklers in terms of I'm just a coach or I'm just a consultant. My job is to help help a client solve a problem or improve something or achieve some objective. So I try to weave back and forth, but I'm very clear about which is needed at any given time and what the relationship is. So, um, but I'm not, I'm not a, a, a fundamentalist when it comes to any of those three areas. Yeah. So, so what are the experiences that people have, the, the, the challenges, the trials, the tribulations that people go through that kind of are, are the crucibles of leadership, you know, that create a leader over time? Do you notice anything about, you know, the experiences, the great, I guess, experiences that great leaders have had or had the things they've had to go through that have made them great leaders? I mean, that's such a complicated question. We could talk historically, politically, sports-wise, there's a lot of different context. But um, to me, it's stepping up to leadership when leadership is needed. There's also a quote that I mentioned in my book um, from uh, uh, Michael J. Fox says it in the movie, The American President with Michael Douglas. He says, in the absence of leadership, people will listen to whoever steps up to the microphone, right? So sometimes you need to fill that void, regardless of your title, role, position, you need to speak up and speak out, raise your hand. I always quote uh, Shirley Chisholm, who said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring your own folding chair, Mm. right? Sometimes (laughs) we need to bring our own folding chair because people are not going to, especially in in today's environment, not today, historically, in terms of diversity inclusion, there's some people who are listened to and 
a lot of times there's, there's a lot of issues around gender issues in the workplace. A woman will say something in a meeting and yeah. then everyone ignores it. A male says the same thing five minutes later and everyone's like, wow, that's a really great idea. And the woman's like, I just said that five minutes ago and no yeah. one heard me, right? And it's the same thing not only with males and females, but with introverts and extroverts or people of, of color and, and, and not. So we need to really be that, that flipping the eye concept of be open to ideas from anyone, anywhere, anytime and give people a voice. I always talk about three Vs, visibility, voice, and value. And this is the way I get people to turn on their cameras. Here's a little hip hint for people. When you're on the Zoom call and people, you're staring at all the black screens and they say, visibility is are you seen and how are you seen? Uh, voice is are you heard and how are you heard? And value is about are you contributing, right? So if you don't have your camera on or your mic on and you're not saying anything or adding anything, you're not doing any of those three Vs. So if you yeah. want to be a leader and you want to be seen as a leader, and I say that to my students, and this is one of the things I say to my faculty members at NYU because I coach them and how to teach more effectively, um, say that to your students. And then all of a sudden you'll see the, the, the cameras just pop on one after another because mm -hmm. everyone wants to be seen and heard and contribute and um, – you know, again, it's not about your title. We just we want to hear what you have to say. Bill Nye, the science guy, I love one of his quotes. He said that everyone you will ever meet knows something that you don't. And I say yeah. that to my students. It doesn't matter your age, where you're from, you can teach me something. And I always say the success of our courses are one-third plus one-third plus one-third is 100%. That's our formula for success. <laughs> yeah. One-third is the content that I chose. One-third is my facilitation. And one-third is their contributions. And if every, each and every person is not contributing, if you didn't teach me something, then we failed each other. And like yeah. just that shifts the framework from I'm here, I'm a passive audience member, to I'm an active contributor to our learning together. Yeah, yeah. And is there anything if I'm a young professional and I'm, you know, looking to develop my leadership, you know, experiences and skills, what should I be looking for in terms of opportunities? How should I step into those opportunities? Any advice or suggestions you give to people, folks? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I say, I, I started out, you know, some of those jobs I talked about in Hollywood, you start out in the mailroom and then you work your way, you aspire to work your way up to the corner office. We're not living in that world anymore. There's no mail room because there's no more mail and there's no email room as far as I know, right? And the corner office is like, who cares, right? We're, I'm, I'm in the corner office in my house right now. I'm sitting right in the corner by a window, right? So um, it's a different world that we're living in. So it really is about don't, for a young person, don't feel any job is beneath you. Look at every opportunity as a learning experience. Raise your hand and volunteer. Find a mentor. Ask questions, especially why. You mentioned the word why before, and Simon Sinek does this whole thing about start with why. But when you're an individual contributor, it's about what. What do I need to do and when do I need it to do it by? When you're a manager, it's not just what needs to be done, but how can we do it, process, and who's going to do what, people. And then when you get to the leadership role, then you're asking why. You need to be asking why, why not, why are we doing this way, being curious, questioning everything. So as a leader, you need to be thinking about all of these things. But again, it's not about title. Regardless of your role or position, you should always be asking all of those different questions as you, quote, step up to leadership. So that's what I would say is raise your hand and basically say, hey, I'll take that on. I'll try that. And um, ask people's questions with no agenda other than to learn. You know, I think people are willing to share their, their wisdom of their experience. I always say that wisdom is where knowledge and experience meet, right? You could have a millennial who's so tech savvy and social media savvy, but they don't have your 25 or 30 years of experience. Or you could have someone who has 30 years of experience, but is not up to date on what's going on out there in the world today. When you put the two together and learn and share and realize that we're never done learning, that's where we become wiser and make wiser decisions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as you look at kind of our leadership today, you know, corporate, 
otherwise? Like, what do you think is missing or what do you think we could do to level up our kind of leadership at a society level? Yeah, I mean, diversity, inclusion, equity is a, is a hot topic today for a reason. It's like, yeah. if you only hire people just like you, my first time I was a manager and I got to hire my first assistant, I basically hired a mini me. I hired mm-hmm. someone who like looked like me, talked like me. We got along great. We loved having sure. lunch together, but we had no balance, right? We yeah. saw everything through the same lens. We finally, and it didn't work out. We finally found him another job in the company and I hired someone completely different for me, different skill set, different paradigm. And it was great. We were such an amazing team. So, you know, we tend to, you know, it's the tribes mentality of, you know, Mm -hmm. yes, it's easier to hire someone that seems familiar, but you're not challenging yourself and you're also not getting diverse perspectives. So that's one thing to think about. Challenging, you know, question everything, question your biases, your assumptions. You know, Marshall Goldsmith's book was one of my favorite, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, Mm -hmm. just because something got you to where you are. The subtitle is uh, The 20 Workplace Habits You Need to Break. So one of the things he says is a lot of times leaders are successful not necessarily because of how they are, but in spite of how they are. But that'll catch up to you eventually, and it's not sustainable. So we need to constantly be learning and changing and growing and seeking ideas from all over. You know, one of the challenges, you could be a 45-year-old, 55-year-old person, and your boss could be 30, right? How Mm -hmm. that flips the old hierarchy on its head of that's not the natural order of things, but that's today's reality. And we need to leave our ego at the door, as Quincy Jones said when they did We Are the World many years ago, and say, how can I help? What can I learn? And how can I contribute? And I think that's how we lead. Lead from wherever you're standing and don't wait to be appointed or anointed a leader. Just start leading. Yeah. Yeah. Todd, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Sure. Well, I live on LinkedIn, so feel free to link in with me. I'm the only Todd Churches, C-H-E-R-C-H-E-S out there. Also, my new website just launched a few months ago, uh, so toddchurches.com. And if you go to toddchurches.com slash subscribe, you can download my list of my top 52 visual leadership-related books. And again, my book, Visual Leadership, was just published uh, in May, and you can find that wherever books are sold on Amazon, and you can find how you can use uh, visual thinking using visual imagery, metaphor, mental models, and frameworks, and storytelling to be a more effective leader. That's great. I'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes. Thank Todd, you, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, Bruce. This was great. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.